Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles once again this morning to the Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter, where we will be looking together at the closing verses of this sixth chapter, beginning with verse 53, and then reading through the end of the chapter with verse 56. Mark 6, 53 through 56, and you can find that passage on the bottom there of the page, of page 987 in your pew Bibles. Well, beloved, undoubtedly by now you remember that one of the primary focuses here in Mark has been for him to get before us the full biblical revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Mark opened this account right away with that. The opening verses of this are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as he progressed through this narrative, we have witnessed that purpose, or I should say, we have uh, witnessed that revelation becoming more and more clear. Jesus is declared to be the beloved Son of the Father by the Father himself at his baptism in the wilderness. Jesus left his temptation with Satan in the wilderness, victorious over all the power of the devil. And he, that is, Jesus himself declared that the time was now fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so began the movement or the advancement of that kingdom as more and more of Jesus Christ was revealed. You remember he called his unlikely disciples out in the open before the eyes of all of those who were sort of watching with half-hearted interest. And he began to set out restoring all that had been lost because of sin. Lepers and the sick and the infirm were healed. Demons were being cast out. Paralytics were made whole. Sins were being declared forgiven. Jesus began to preach the gospel, the message of the kingdom with a previously unseen, unknown, weighty authority. Beloved, I'll not rehash it all again this morning, but I trust by now in our look together at this beautiful, very Christ-exalting account of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have seen clearly both of these things from the outset the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the unstoppable advancement of the glorious kingdom of Almighty God. And within those two things, of course, we have witnessed many other encouragements along the way. Mark has allowed for us to glimpse just some of the content of the actual teaching of Jesus through parables. The teaching of the kingdom from the mouth of the king himself. And we witnessed the way in which those parables really did the gospel work of separation, moving some ever closer to the king and his kingdom while simultaneously driving others even further away. We have watched the miracles increase and go so far as to even give life to one who was dead. In all of it, beloved, we have been made witness 
to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in his revelation, his power, his sovereignty, his mercy, his compassion, his love for the unlovable. Last week, we looked at his wonderful providence. And specifically, we talked about his grace becoming so evident, especially in what I termed as hard providence. Those things that we all experience, which lead us towards dependence upon Jesus Christ, even as we are being made and molded into his image. As Jesus separated himself from his disciples so that he could be alone to pray to the Father, we begin to see that providence at work. We also see a little bit more of Jesus as he does so. He prayed. I mentioned to you last week in his deity, of course, he had no need of prayer. He and the Father and the Spirit are all one. They exist in perfect harmony, in complete and perfect Unity. In his coming as a man, we not only get glimpses like this one of his humanity, but we are forced to consider the necessity of Jesus being fully man and yet fully God. Only as man could he atone for the sin of man. And only in his deity could the Son of God bear the weight of the sin of the world being laid upon his shoulders as he paid the penalty for that sin. The very wrath of God was poured out upon him in our place. And yet, he did it and remained sinless. He must be both, God and man. We see both here in that he prayed in his humanity and in his deity. We know that his gracious providence is now at work in these disciples. He sent them out alone in the boat. And he waited. He saw their predicament as they struggled against a, a headwind at the oars going nowhere fast. And he waited. He waited to reveal himself until the right time. The necessary time. And then Mark tells us in another astonishing display of his deity... He walked out to them on top of the water. More of his glory, more of his precious identity was uncovered before his disciples' weary and terrified eyes. And what I hope was an encouragement, as much of an encouragement to you as it was to me, we witnessed the unmatched compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great shepherd king, As he sees his disciples' faithless response. And he moves towards them in gentleness. Getting into the boat to offer them comfort. To alleviate their fears. To lovingly show them that in and with him they were safe and secure for eternity. He is the king of creation and the Lord of all things. The wind and the waves, indeed the creation itself, obeys every word that proceeds from his omnipotent mouth. He spoke it all into being 
He is God. And He has come to set straight all that has been made crooked in this world by sin. He's come to restore the broken things. And only He, as God indeed, can. And as we close out this sixth chapter in the text before us this morning, Mark will again continue to show us more of the Lord Jesus Christ and the unstoppable advancement of His kingdom. And as He does so, it's my hope this morning to point out just a few other things here that are brought even further into the light as He does. And so it's with all that in mind that I would invite you to please follow along with me in your Bibles as I read from the holy, infallible, and inerrant Word of God, Mark chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. Hear now the Word of our Lord. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was, wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word and we're grateful for the gospel according to Mark. Father, the more time we've spent in this book, the more I've come to love it, to treasure its wonderful truth, the truth of the gospel as being front and center in everything we do. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would clear our hearts and our minds from the countless distractions of this world and that we would be able to give our full attention to your word this morning so that we might live more and more for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we left off last week, we saw Jesus getting into the boat and he has now calmed the wind and the sea. And I would point out to you that it appears that this boat has gone somewhat off course as he and his disciples come ashore into the land of Genesaret. Now, if you were to look at your Bible map in the back of your Bible, you probably will see why I would say that. They are now in God's providence on the exact opposite side of the sea from where they were originally heading, which you will remember was Bethsaida, which lies to the east of where it's commonly believed that the 5,000 were fed with but two fish and five loaves of bread. Genesaret is on the opposite side of the sea, somewhere between Tiberias to the south and Capernaum to the north. By most accounts, this was an extremely fertile part of Palestine. And so because of all that good ground, it was, as you can imagine, very heavily populated. We see here that Jesus and his disciples were certainly not at all expected there. They are off course. 
The news of his arrival spread very, very quickly. And the result of his arrival appears to have been that a complete frenzy of activity was sparked. Mark uses another one of those time markers here for us to get a sense of what's going on here, which he's done many times in this sixth chapter. And he tells us that upon getting out of the boat, immediately, it also gives you a sense of just how well spread Jesus' fame is at this point in his ministry. Immediately, the people recognized him. And then they ran throughout that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick wherever they heard that he was. I would point out to you just a couple of things here in light of this frenzied activity that I think that Mark has been reminding us of often in his desire to get before us the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And first, I would again point out to you the providence involved in this further revelation of Jesus to his disciples and to the lost that were all around them, to us as well. You understand, Jesus was not lost at sea. Right? He was not so confused by his own wind and waves that he had no earthly idea how to get to Bethsaida. It's never the picture of Jesus we get. They are right where they are all supposed to be. Seeing Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the great restorer of all things at work amid his broken creation. I make the point to say this is not a chance encounter with these people. This is not what we would probably often refer to in our own lives as a coincidence. This is God's providence. His working all things together for the good of those whom he calls, working out his perfect holy will on earth even as it is in heaven. We need to see that. Secondly, I would say there's something else here that we simply cannot afford to miss. Something that I would say is mandatory for anyone seeking to know Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself to us in the pages of his holy word. It's something that Mark has really been keeping before us the entire time in this narrative. Something that I would say has two sides to it if we are to truly understand it. I want you to look and consider for just a moment this scene in the broken condition of this world because of sin. Beloved, do you see it here? Do you get a sense of the desperation of these people? Because I think Mark wants us to see it. Certainly it's something we're familiar with as we take in this very world that we live in, as we even consider our own hearts. Jesus gets out of the boat. He's immediately recognized. And what is the reaction to news of his arrival? Mark tells us that the people from the whole region surrounding him flock 
to where he is. They all come in droves, desperately seeking relief from their suffering. Can you imagine the scene? Get, a, get, get this picture in your minds. Try and picture this. The sick and the lame, the diseased and the demon-possessed as far as you can see in every direction surrounding Jesus. All of them desperate because of the brokenness of this world, because of their own brokenness, all of them suffering under the curse because of sin. And certainly there's another much more positive way to see this, and I'm going to get to that. But understand, we need to see both. Beloved, I'm asking you to think about this for a moment. Just how seriously do you take your sin? If you think you don't have any, I'll just assume that you don't take it seriously at all. Because I really want us to see sin and its hideous effects as it's represented here by Mark. You cannot possibly live in gratitude for your salvation if you fail to see just how desperate your situation truly is apart from the wonderful, matchless grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's death and it's desperation. Loved ones dropping everything just to try and get close enough to Jesus in search of relief for their suffering loved ones. Pushing and shoving their way to Jesus, fighting for position. Looking through their tears and their weariness in order to see him. And just how far you need to go to get to him clinging to the desperate hope that even touching his clothing, the hem of his garment, might bring relief for yourself and for your loved one. Beloved, this is sin. Not what it promises, but most certainly what it consistently delivers. Death. And desperation. And I'm asking you this morning, do you see this as your own situation? This is exactly the position you are in apart from the grace of Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not somewhere between extremes. That's what we often think. Healthy for the most part, but you know, could probably do a little better. You could use a little help. No, you are helpless to fix this condition. You are incapable of even stretching out your legs to take those few critical, necessary steps towards Jesus. That's sin. You understand, it's a desperate picture. Do you see it? Why do I say it's desperate? Everything is broken. 
Everything is marred. Nothing is as it should be. It's awful and it's getting worse. Beloved, can you relate to that? Have you ever known this kind of desperation? You see the brokenness. You see it in yourself. You see it in others. You see it in those whom you so dearly love and you are helpless to fix it. You're helpless to just somehow rise above it. You are frozen in place, unable to move. That's the picture here. At least one side of it. We need to wrestle with this desperation. We need to see our own desperation here. Why? Because we must see that in our fight with sin, we in and of ourselves are helpless. We need help. We need restoration. We need renewal. We need, we desperately need redemption. We cannot simply just buy it. We cannot just achieve it. We cannot earn it. And I'm asking you, beloved, do you believe that this morning? I fear all too often what we are wanting to do in the Christian life is just suck it up and try a little harder. You know, work at it. To just, I don't know, buy a new Bible. Listen to a new podcast. Join a new study. Find a new church. Follow a new guru. Change our career. All of these things in vain and worthless attempts to just fix our own desperate situation. To avoid looking at our own true condition. To avoid seeing ourselves and our sin as undoubtedly the biggest problem that we will all deal with in this life. It's not a pretty picture, is it? And I want you to see here, this goes well beyond just the surface. This desperation, running to Jesus in search of wholeness, in search of comfort, in search of health, in search of physical well-being, there's a warning for us here. Do you notice what none of them is apparently looking for? The salvation of their souls. The one whom they are flocking towards in their eyes is little more than a magician or a wizard, a healer, a fixer of physical ailments, a physician of sorts, but not God in the flesh. Not the great Redeemer come to restore our broken relationship to Almighty God. Their biggest need is what is in front of them right now. And so, though many of these people are certainly made privy to the grace of Jesus Christ and His compassion are healed in their immediate problems, the sad truth is that eventually every single one of these people who are healed and and raised from the dead, every single one of them dies. I want to spoil the story if you haven't got that far. Every single one of them die. Though they are healed in the moment from their physical need, unless by faith they comprehend through that healing the bigger picture of salvation in Jesus Christ, their relief is temporary. And the true suffering is still yet to come. 
Beloved, I know this is a bleak picture. It's, it's a desperate picture. It appears to be a somewhat hopeless picture. But it is absolutely a necessary picture. This is your condition. This is your situation, your circumstances. If you are outside of life in Jesus Christ by faith. So where is there any hope here at all? I've already touched on one area. You cannot miss his compassion on the broken ones here, can you? Even in this bleakness, even in the darkness and the haziness of sin and its effects, the kindness and the mercy and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ for the broken ones shines through. Mark tells us that in all the chaos, in all the stress, in all the crowds and the pushing to get near and closer to Jesus, in all the desperation, that as many as touched him were made well. As many as Jesus drew to himself in his compassion and grace, they were healed. They were made well, at least physically. They were given relief. And so certainly we see the compassion of Jesus here. It's really difficult to miss it. However, there is still more light here than just his compassion doing its work. Do you notice there is also hope here? It's amazing in this desperation that there is, but though it's misplaced in a sense, it's certainly present. These people know that something is going on here with Jesus. I've pointed that out before. They know that there is relief to be found in Him. They just do not yet, much like the disciples themselves, see the whole picture. I'm sure that eventually, by the grace of God, many of them will. But in the darkness of their brokenness, hope sees the light in Jesus Christ. So they make haste to get near him. I said earlier, there's a warning here. You know, we see this kind of thing in the Bible and it forces us to ask ourselves those difficult questions. You probably know the question I'm going to ask because I ask it all the time, right? This is one of those in-your-face texts that sort of makes you stand back and answer some tough questions like, why are you here this morning? I asked that one a lot. It's not the first time I've asked it today. I asked it in Sunday school. Why are you here? Do you know what I mean by it? What is it about Christianity that you are drawn to? Are you here because it's expected of you? Well, some of you kids are probably in that place, right? Some of my kids are probably in that place. It's expected. Are you here because this is where your family has been for generations? Are you here because sin has so closed in the walls of your life that you are now desperately searching for anything that will bring you some relief? Are you here because in your estimation this Christianity thing is just another piece of what the good life looks like? Why are you here? It's a searching question. Let me ask it another way. 
This one's more in your face. What is it that you want from Jesus? That one gets closer to the truth. What is it that you want from Jesus? Many want health. The good life. To keep a good thing going. To find that all too elusive happiness that we all search for. To find yourself. To keep up appearances. Is that you this morning? Listen, I will tell you what all those desires have in common. And the answer might surprise you. It's certainly not that they expect too much from Jesus. It might surprise you to hear that. All of these throwing themselves upon his mercy know that he is compassionate, he is kind, he will and he does heal, but it's not too much. No, what everyone in this situation has in common is that all of them, perhaps you yourselves, actually expect far too little from Jesus. I'm always reminded of that famous C.S. Lewis quote. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. No, beloved, if all that we think we need from Jesus is something to make us more comfortable now, then truly we expect far too little of him. He has not revealed himself to be a mere fixer of situations. This is the great Redeemer King. This is the one who came down to set things right. He is restoring order and dignity to his fallen creation. And he is saving souls if by his grace we see him. Do you see Jesus as he's represented here in Mark? Do you see him? Because life itself is what you should be seeking. That is what you should be expecting from him, not less. Nothing less than your complete, total salvation. Your justification, your sanctification, your ultimate glorification in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came. Yet we get glimpses of his restoration of all things during his earthly ministry, and rightly so. Scripture says he will come again, he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and of course it will be glorious. It will be glorious for those who know that he came to restore the breach that our sin had made between God and his people. Jesus came to us perfectly fitted for our salvation. Mark wants us to see the whole scope of our redemption here. He came to be perfect in the eyes of the law, blameless. He came to willingly then go to the cross, receiving upon himself the full penalty for our sin. He came to die as the perfect, one and only perfect atoning sacrifice. 
It's one of the reasons that Mark so often draws us back into the pages of the Old Testament to see these pictures in their earlier, hazier forms getting depth and detail and clarity in the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking from the shadow to the substance behind it, then back to the substance through the shadow. Let me ask you something. Does this picture of the sick and dying being carried to Jesus to even try and touch his clothing to be healed. Does it remind you of any other scenes in redemptive history? Perhaps if your Bible's like mine, the cross reference points you to Numbers 15, verses 38 and 39. In those verses, Moses speaks of the tassels with the blue thread throughout that were uh, to be sewn to the hem of their garments that were to remind them of the law of the Lord, the commandments, that they might do them and live, that they might look to them and and set aside the harlotry of the previous generations of God's people. That certainly can be seen here as the people, we are told, are so desperate to get not just to touch Jesus, but to the hem of his garment. But I cannot help but to think of another one. And it's one that Reverend Paul Trike pointed out to us in a sermon that he preached here many years ago. To date, in my almost 50 years on this earth, probably one of the best sermons I've ever heard. And his text was Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. And the Israelites had become severely discouraged by their wearying journey through the wilderness. You could say certainly the brokenness of this world was closing in on them. And they did what we see them so often do. They began whining against Moses for bringing them out to the forsaken wilderness to die of starvation and thirst. And this time God punished their insolence, their disregard for his providence. And Moses tells us that God sent into the camp of the Israelites fiery serpents. And as many as were bit by the serpents died. It was judgment. And the people recognized their sin. And so they come to Moses and they confess their sin and they beg him to intercede on their behalf and pray that God in his infinite mercy would take these snakes away. You probably know the story. God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and to put it on a pole and to raise that pole somewhere in the camp. And when anyone was bitten by the snake, they were to get to a place where they could but look upon the serpent on the pole, and if they saw it, they would live. Reverend Trike pointed out to us that day that it was but a shadow of what was to come. It was, of course, looking forward to when Jesus would be raised up on the cross and give life to all who saw him and understood who and what he was with the eyes of faith. All the snake-bitten people. Those who saw not only their need of him, but who found life in him. Those who see his resurrection and power and who have now resurrected powerful life in Jesus Christ. And we glimpse it here, don't we? 
The hope is that Jesus can fix what truly ails us. We just need to be clear about what our biggest problem really is. And it's not that we don't like our current situation. It's not that you lost your job or even that you just received the worst possible diagnosis from your doctor. It's not that we are facing unwanted change or a new chapter in our story that we never wanted and that we certainly never asked for. It's not that your marriage is falling apart. It's not that your kids have rebelled. Listen to me, beloved. If you're only running to Jesus for those things, you are missing the proverbial forest for the trees. It's not that we cannot come to him for those things. Certainly we must. But they are all secondary situations to the real problem. Do you know the real problem? The real problem, beloved, is you are snake-bitten as a son and daughter of Adam. And unless you get to Jesus, you will die. You are sick and lame and infirm. And unless Jesus in his mercy brings you to himself, you will die. must get to him as he has revealed himself to be. He is the only atoning sacrifice. He alone has paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. He alone gives me the faith that I so desperately need to see my own death in his death and my own powerful resurrected life in him. I am a sinner. And I need the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to live. Give me Christ or I die. Everything else you understand is far too little. Mark wants you to see your need. That is clear. But he's not doing it to hold you back. He's not doing it to belittle you. He's not trying to be unkind to you. He wants you to see your need so that you can be made complete in the Lord Jesus Christ and live eternally. Do you see it? He came not just to give you health that will eventually fade until he comes again and makes all things new. He came to give you life. He came to give you rest. He came to give you peace. He came to give you real, unfettered joy. Beloved, do you know that joy this morning? That's why I love the hymn, Joy to the World. It's not just because it's an upbeat, classic hymn that we sing at Christmas time. It gives us some spatial recognition of how far this joy goes, right? This joy is to be found in those who have run to Christ, who restores all things. How far? As far as the curse is found. Amen. Right? As far as the curse is found. Do you know this, Jesus? And praise Him, beloved, this morning.
as one who sees him and refuses to ask for anything less than him. Amen.